Hello, this is, well, you know who this is. I've only starred in nearly every movie ever made. I'm a huge fan of Michael Bohm. Today on the podcast, we're going to be continuing our study in Romans. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. <laughs> All right, so I've got famous people endorsing my podcast. See, you know, he's so famous that I don't even have to say his name. And if I do say his name, I have to worry about litigation, lawsuits, because that's not really who you think it was. Um, <laughs> that was so worth it, though. My original intention was to release that on April 1st as an April Fool's joke. Uh, but uh, as you guys know, I'm so, I'm just so buried in work. I'm I'm doing a terrible job getting these podcasts out in any timely fashion. Um, on that note, I have a huge ministry update following this podcast right at the end. So don't miss that. Uh, it is a huge ministry update. Quite possibly, no, not even quite possibly. It is the biggest uh, ministry change update uh, that has ever uh, hit this podcast. So uh, definitely listen to the end uh, because I have something really big to announce. Anyway, so today we're going to keep going verse by verse through Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, so uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And by the way, by jump right in, it really does jump right in. Uh, at our church, <laughs> we seem to be having issues getting the recordings. Is it not? I mean, I, I always have issues. When I'm at a church, there's always audio issues. I, I, don't, I don't get it. But um, this and many other recordings, it just seems like they start and you miss about the first two or three minutes. Don't worry about it. Uh, all I'm doing is reviewing what I talked about the previous time, so you're not missing too much. So anyway, like I said, let's go ahead and jump right in. And at this point, he just starts hitting them with one Old Testament quote after another. It is just like boom, 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 boom. Don't forget, Paul was trained. I think I mentioned this the very first time I, I taught on Romans chapter 1. Paul was trained under the most notable scholar of his time, a scribe of scribes, uh, Gamaliel. And Paul was not a theological lightweight. This guy knew his stuff. He had a command of the Old Testament, okay? And so he's going to show that today as he just quotes one scripture after another, showing the authority of what he is saying. He's basically saying, look, guys, this is not a new teaching. This is not a new thing. God has laid this down throughout the entire Old Testament, okay? Of course, he didn't call it the Old Testament then. But uh, anyway, as we start off today, uh, the first eight verses of chapter 3, Paul goes through a bunch of questions. Um, obviously, this is an epistle, right? He's not standing in front of the Romans as he's reading this, but he is 
anticipating, no doubt he's heard these questions before, but he's anticipating the objections that he would hear had he been in front of the Romans giving this uh, particular talk. Okay? And so he's, it's kind of fun. And Paul does this actually in a couple other epistles. He'll give an objection, and then he'll give an answer. Then he'll give a response from his listeners, and then he'll give another answer. And it's almost like he's got this two-way argument going on. It's kind of fun to watch him do this. But um, <clears throat> open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And we're going to start off with verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Okay, so last week we ended with uh, talking last week. Three weeks ago when I taught last, we ended with uh, Paul talking about circumcision. Okay, the Jews, this is a group of people that at this point their faith had evolved a little bit and they started having this thinking that, hey, we're God's chosen people. Like, God's going to show us a different kind of favor than he shows the Gentile world. We've got kind of a special standing before God. You know, we're circumcised. We've got the Mosaic law. We, we, we do all these things, and those dirty Gentile dogs out there, you know, actually they did consider, some of them did consider Gentiles as dogs. In fact, there was a saying that uh, the Gentiles were created by God to fuel the fires of hell, okay? And by the way, really quick, side note, rabbit trail. In no way is Paul, or me for that matter, being anti-Semitic today or any of the other teachings, okay? Just dis disclaimer there. There is no anti-Semitism. It's just a simple fact. We cannot measure up to God's perfect standard. We can't. And Paul has to spend extra time addressing the Jewish situation because they've really, I mean, for thousands of years, they're like, what? we're God's chosen people. And now all of a sudden, Paul's coming along talking about this Messiah and the fact that Jew and Gentile can be saved just simply by trusting in what Christ did on that cross. And so they're like, wait a minute, what advantage does have the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Look, what was all that about? And so Paul goes on, verse 2, he says, much in every way, chiefly because to them, the Jews, was committed the oracles of God. Oracles, uh, that word in the Greek, it's logion, which basically just means word. And so we have this group of people. No other people on earth has been trusted with God's word like this. They were, of all humanity, the Jews got the word of God. And so they got to wake up and live and breathe God's teachings every single day. What a, what a blessing that is. Now, we as Christians, now we get to do that too, right? But this is, a, this is a new church, and he's addressing the Jews. Hey, you guys, you guys have had God's word in front of you your whole lives. Yes, it is, it's a huge blessing, tremendous blessing. And so Paul goes on. Actually, just as a side note, Romans chapter 9, verses 4, uh, or verse 4, Paul also elaborates a little bit more. He also says that, uh, the Jews have been given adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of God. Thought I'd throw that in there as a little extra. Anyway, going on to verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithful, faithfulness of God without effect? In other words, 
what about those Jews who have not believed? Those who are not trusting in Christ? What, if, what about them? Because again, we're talking about a group of people that almost have this ethnic salvation thing going on. A lot of them had that belief that they were simply saved because they were a Jew. Well, what about those who have not believed? Well, like I mentioned earlier, this is where Paul just starts, just starts busting out. He starts showing them through the Old Testament the points here that he wants them to understand. He's going to make his points through the authoritative text of the Old Testament. And so he starts off, and I'm going to hit you with a big rabbit trail right away, but I love this. He starts off, he says, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Okay, that's, that's a strong statement from Paul. And I want to camp on this for a second because, you know, so much nowadays, it, it's almost as if uh, majority opinion dictates truth. Um, okay, I was talking to Victoria recently about moral relativism. Okay, there is, there is a teaching that goes around that uh, uh, morals come from the majority opinion. It's, it's kind of an idea that uh, is thrown around, especially in the public schools, not so much where Victoria goes, but uh, the idea that morals can be dictated via society or culture or your country or just how you feel that day, okay? Let God be true and every man a liar. When God says something, it's true. And it doesn't matter how many people believe something, if it's not, if, or if it's contrary to what God says, it's not true, okay? Um, and nobody, nobody walks this out in their life. Nobody actually truly believes this deep down inside. You know, you punch somebody in the nose, they're going to be mad at you, right? <laughs> they're going to feel wronged. There's a reason why people are outraged by things like murder and rape and stealing, okay? If we're all just molecules in motion, you know, we evolved from some ram random thing millions of years ago, one-celled organism gave birth and continued down the line until we popped up. Why would it matter to us when one person kills another? Why would we be outraged? If this if morals came culturally, we would just be like, well, you know, survival of the fittest. Joe just got waxed. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. No, we're, we're enraged when stuff happens. And that's because God's law is written on our hearts, as we've seen in chapters 1 and 2. All right? Let God be true and every man a liar. Anytime God says something, it is true. And so in, it doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if culture says something else. If God says fornication, sex outside of marriage, if God says that that is wrong, that it's a sin, let God be true and every man a liar. If God says homosexuality is wrong, that it's a sin, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean and, and a hater and all that. I'm just saying God's word, when God says something, it's true. Something else. Here's, it's a fun scripture that probably a chunk of you guys have never heard this scripture before. Here, this one's a zinger. 
A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. I mean, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, that's not saying that women can't wear pants. Now I've got to wear, like, dresses and stuff. No, it's just intentionally trying to look like the opposite sex. Right? Nobody here is guilty of that, so everybody calm down. Don't stone me. <laughs> in matters of faith in science, where secular science butts head with the faith, let God be true and every man a liar. If the Bible says that God created the earth in six days, not billions of years, let God be true and every man a liar. God says that he flooded the entire earth, which there's a ton of evidence for. Maybe someday the elders will allow me to do a conference on creation and evolution. I would love to do that. <laughs> get me going. I'll get fired up. But God said he flooded the entire earth. Let God be true and every man a liar. Right? If, if God said he created the animals before man, I'm sorry, the other way around, created man before the animals, where evolution says it's the other way around, says the animals came before man. Let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? If God says, fill in the blank, whatever, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? So, coming back from my rabbit trail here, reel it in. I'm going to back up here. Paul's answering that question. He's answering the question of, ooh, what was the question? Uh, if some did not believe, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? He goes on, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may, may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Okay. Whenever an author in the Bible says, as it is written, that's a dead giveaway, that's a good clue, that now we're, we're quoting something from the Old Testament. Right? Make sense? And uh, this one, this is going to be a passage in the Old Testament, a case study, if you will, that's going to answer this question conclusively. Does, shouldn't God show the Jews favor? Shouldn't they have some kind of special favor before the Lord? Shouldn't they be judged a little differently than the Gentiles? And he says, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. What is that? Okay, well, he's quoting a, a, a psalm, Psalm 51. This is a, a perfect case study of a Jew who um, sinned against the Lord in a terrible way, and God judged him. This is a Jew of Jews. This is a very beloved Jew that everybody loves. If you're a Jew, you love this guy, King David, okay? He's talking about King David. It's uh, Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to quote this to you. We're going to see David's sin, okay? Of course, this is actually a psalm that came after his sin, his big, big sin, the big boy, where he committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba, who just happened to be best, like, uh, married to one of his best friends, one of his most loyal men, Uriah. And then, when he finds out she's pregnant, what does he do? He has Uriah killed. Okay, so this is a doozy. Um, as a side note, I praise God that that story is in the Bible, because just when you think 
whatever sin you did, you're like, man, I can't be saved. There's no way. Just think of David. <laughs> I'm not that bad. So anyway, he starts with, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you, here's this line, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Okay, so that verse in Romans was not talking about us being uh, blameless when we judge or uh, just when we speak. This is speaking of God, okay? And again, did God show David any special favor in this situation? He messed up. He messed up bad. Did God show him any special favor, or did he judge him pretty harshly? In the flesh, of course. It was pretty harsh. If you guys remember, uh, the baby died, um, and God came down on David and the nation as a whole because of the sin uh, pretty heavily. Okay? Point made. Amen? I mean, <laughs> Paul is going back to the Old Testament. He's showing them, guys, you guys should believe this. This is stuff that you have in your word. And so he goes on. Um, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Okay, so this is another one of those object objections, right? So now he's anticipating uh, a Jew coming back and, and there's no doubt, I'm sure he's heard these objections many times before. But now he's anticipating an objection where basically, if our unrighteousness, if our sinful walk demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? And then he caps that off with, I speak as a man. Okay, so now we're, you know, kind of wading in some deeper theological waters here. Um, you know, every time we sin and we're forgiven, we see just how loving and awesome our God is. Okay? <laughs> Amen? Right? We get to see how awesome he really is. Um, if he's glorified and shown to be righteous every time we sin, why is God judging us or bringing wrath upon us when we do these things? Okay? And uh, one way to illustrate this Suppose you're driving down the road doing 55 and a 35. Don't ask my wife. I've never done that before. But suppose you were, and you were doing 55 and a 35, and you got pulled over. And uh, at this point, you could say that uh, you gave those fine men in blue an opportunity to show their righteous judgment in the matters of traffic laws, right? Um, now imagine the day you're standing in front of the judge in court, and you say, your Honor, I think you should dismiss this ticket because I was just using this opportunity to demonstrate the righteous judgment of these fine men and to demonstrate the, the righteousness of our judicial system. What would that judge say? How would he respond? 
You guys would, I mean, you're still going to get judged. It's still going to happen. And the same with God. We still committed the crime. We still got to do the time, right? Okay, that might not not work too well, but uh, the whole point is we will be judged for our sins. It will be in the flesh and not in the afterlife, though. Praise God. Because of the blood of Christ, we are saved. And so, um, does that make sense? And, and so Paul, he he's, finishes that and he says, I speak as a man. I just wanted to mention this because I've heard this taught before. I, I've heard people say when he said, I speak as a man, that means that that little section, he wasn't being led by the Holy Spirit. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that he's speaking in human terms, right? He's giving one of the objections that he's heard over and over and over. And as we continue on, that becomes even clearer. Um, And so he goes on to answer this objection. He says, certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? Okay, so should we, uh, uh, why is God, in other words, why is God inflicting wrath upon us if our unrighteousness is demonstrating God's righteousness? And Paul comes back, how will God judge the world? Like if God's showing the Jews one measure and the Gentiles another, doesn't that demonstrate he is not a righteous judge? What kind of, you know, where's the justice if you've got two different standards? Okay. Um, one of my next up-and-coming teachings uh, for the youth group, um, I want to talk to him about the problem of evil. Now, why does God, atheists love this one, okay? They love to throw this in your face. If God is all-powerful and he's all-good, why does he allow evil in the world? Right? That's a big one. He is either not all-powerful or not all-good because evil does exist. That's the argument. There is a huge hidden assumption there in that argument. Does Does anybody know what it is? Anybody catch it? The assumption is that he's not going to deal with sin. See, they've got the timetable mixed up. He does deal with sin, and he's going to deal with sin. He's going to correct the evil problem. That's the end of our book. He's coming back, and he's going to deal with the sin problem. He's going to correct evil in this world. And he does it now in the, in, the, in, the, in the temporal as well. I mean, we do see that evil is corrected from time to time. I covered this a couple teachings back. Why don't we see God dealing with the evil in the world right when it happens? God, well, one, he's not going to impose upon people's free will, right? He's given us the opportunity to choose right from wrong, but also he's long-suffering. He's waiting for us to repent. Praise God, because I spent a good chunk of my life as a wretched sinner that didn't care about God, and he was so merciful with me. He was so long-suffering, and he dealt with me. He allowed me to do my stupidity, all the dumb things that I did. And eventually, it was his kindness that led me to repentance. It was that love. Okay, so problem of evil. Um, That's going to be for the youth group, although uh, I think I'm going to record a podcast on it as well, so you guys can look forward to that. Um, Going on to verse 8. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? 
Okay, so this is kind of an extension of the same question that we just heard. Okay, um, if God is glorified every time I sin, why am I still judged? Because justice must be served. Because God's still going to deal with the sin in our lives. Okay? In fact, we see in the book of Hebrews um, that God chastises his children. Right? If, if you're one of God's kids, he's going he's gonna to give you a spanking from time to time. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of times you're able to avoid these punishments by simply repenting and meaning it. I'm done. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm going to stop. Okay? And then you can avoid that judgment. But sometimes God has to reach out and get you because you're just not getting it. Okay? And so he does deal with that. Verse 8, And why not say, let us do evil, the good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Yikes. So actually, we had some people that saw the grace that these new believers were walking in, and they started slanderously, they made up a story, that or they heard it wrong, and just ran with it and started spreading a lie about these new believers. That basically the new believers were thinking, hey, let's just do more evil so that God's grace will be shown to be that much more graceful. You know? <laughs> that much more awesome. And Paul hits them with, he, I mean, he just completely waves that aside, okay? And then he says their condemnation is just. They were slandering. That hits home for me for sure because, you know, as most of you know, I have a podcast ministry that deals with apologetics. And so with those types of discernment ministries, there are um, a lot of opportunities to screw up and say something that somebody supposedly teaches that they don't actually teach and get it wrong. And now you're actually slandering, okay? And uh, I, I wish I could say I'm not guilty of that. I've done it before, okay? Where I heard somebody say something, picked that ball up, and I ran with it. Didn't get my facts straight. Didn't check to make sure that what I heard they said, they actually said, and in the right context. Um, that goes for discernment ministries, but that also goes for all you all, okay? When you hear something about somebody else, don't pick that up and run with it. Don't spread it. That's slander. You don't know if it's true or not. At least get your facts straight. And if it's, you know, one of us is teaching heresy or something like that and something needs to be dealt with, make sure you understand for sure what the person was saying before you start going after them and spreading rumors and slander about them. Right? Get your facts straight. Do your research. Know what you're saying before you open your mouth and cause damage. Uh, and so he says, you know, their condemnation is just. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? Okay, the they... Uh, the we would be the Jews, right? Are we, the Jews, better than they, the Gentiles? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Right? Thanks, Paul. He just made the point I was trying to make. All these weeks leading up to right now, Paul has been making the point. He's been working this argument to its final climax, and we're right there now. Both Jews and Greeks, we are all under sin. 
We cannot justify ourselves. We cannot measure up to God's perfect standard. And so verse 10, he's going for it. He says, and this is a quote, as it is written, so he's quoting an Old Testament passage, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. It's bad news. It's good news, too. Because we're about to get to the solution here, the capital S solution. Okay? Uh, he is quoting a Psalm of David. Okay? This is a Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And I am going to quote it for you guys, just so you guys can get a little bit of a context. It starts with, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And so Paul, he's making this point, and I mean, this, he's really driving it home to, the, to his Jewish listeners, right? And he's going to take them back to David. And right here, Holy Spirit speaking through David says the same thing. Even your Tanakh, your Old Testament. You guys ever heard that word before, Tanakh? I know these two have. Um, T stands for Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The N stands for Navim, which is the writings, okay? Your historical writings and such. What? No, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Navim is the prophets. I'm getting that mixed up. And then the Ketuvim is the writings. Thank you. Good catch. I was just testing you. I knew. <laughs> but uh, he's showing them, hey, even your writings that you accept as authoritative and straight from God, it's in there. God has already made this point. This is not a new thing. Um... And so, moving on here, um, totally derailed there. Verse 13, their throat, okay, actually, before I go into this, this is just one Old Testament quote after another. I mean, this, from verse 13 to the end of verse 18, it's almost like every single sentence that Paul utters is a different quote from an Old Testament passage. It's kind of cool. I don't want to bog us down and go back and read each and every one of those passages in context. If you guys want a list of these uh, scripture citations, catch me after the service and I'll give it to, to you. But I will cite them as we're going. So he says, Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. That's Psalm 5, verse 9. The poison of asps is under their lips. Psalm 140, verse 3. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm 10, verse 7. Their feet are, are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. That's Isaiah chapter 15, 59, verses 7 through 8. Glenn will probably be to chapter 59 in about 35 years. And then uh, there, is, <laughs> there is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm chapter 36, verse 1. So all of mankind, all of mankind is wicked and corrupt before God. Um, from the, you know, the Bible even describes it the, from the very moment of conception. 
we've got this sin nature that we've inherited from Adam. In fact, we're going to see that as we move on to Romans chapter 4 and 5. We're going to see justification illustrated in the life of Abraham and Adam, and we're going to also see this the sin nature that we have inherited. And unfortunately, we're stuck with it, guys. There is a war of the flesh that we just have to deal with our entire lives. You know, it's interesting. You get saved, and you, you become aware of just how messed up you are, you know? And then this battle begins as you're trying to fight the, the, the fleshly desires that you have. You want to do the right thing, but you sometimes, oftentimes, end up doing the wrong thing. You know, even Paul, he, he talks about this, Romans chapter 7. I'll get there in about five years. Um, he says, I find that a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. <coughs> For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Of course, the next verse is, you know, thanks be to Jesus. Uh, But uh, we, we have this, this battle of the flesh that we just have to contend with our whole lives. And it, and it's, it stinks, really. It's, it's very difficult. And we're not going to finish this until we have reached glorification. Uh, and that is when we have passed on and we're with Christ. That's when we get rid of that sin, sin nature. Um, something that's kind of fun to bring up. I don't know how much you guys know about this, but... Uh, uh, the Calvinism and Arminianism debate. Typically, um, Calvary takes the Arminian side, okay? But this, this debate that, um, does God choose us or do we choose him? The Calvinists would say that, that uh, God chooses us and there's no possible way for us to find our way to God except the Holy Spirit draws us. And the Arminian would say, well, yeah, God does choose us, but he's outside of space and time. He knew we were going to make this, this choice, and we still have free will, and we still have a choice in this matter, right? And, and there, there's pros and cons. There's consequences on both sides. The Calvinists would say the Armenians are diminishing the sovereignty of God. The Armenians are saying, yeah, well, you guys all think that whoever's going to be saved is just going to be saved, so now you don't really need to go out and do evangelism. And uh, I think there's some straw men that kind of happen on both sides of the debate. There is one real danger of Calvinism, though. It leads to beards. <laughs> no, really. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, when somebody becomes a Calvinist, somehow, mysteriously, they get chin hair. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, did the... Did they choose the beard, or did the beard choose them? <laughs> okay, that's, that's pretty bad. But anyway, yeah, I just want to throw that in there, because some people will point at this passage here and say, see, you know, nobody understands, nobody seeks after God. Um, I think this is one of those things we're not going to fully wrap our minds around until we're on the other side, exactly how this plays out in our lives God does choose us, but we still clearly are held responsible for all of our actions, and we do choose to. You know, it, it shouldn't be surprising. You know, God stands at the door. We're, you know, the, the church of La- the Laodiceans says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens, 
I will come in and, and dine with him. You know, God's not outside the door saying, I know you're going to open this door. Open the door. <laughs> you know, we have, we have a role to play in this. So that will twist your mind in knots if you uh, dwell on that debate. There was actually a real reason why I brought this up. That debate gets so vicious. And uh, I constantly have listeners trying to draw me in to this debate. And I just, I don't take the bait. I rarely, if ever, tell people my real position on this, okay? Because people get nasty. They will call you names. They'll defame you. It gets ugly. And um, so yeah, it, it's just one of those things that, uh, should we divide over something like that? You know, Christ didn't look over at the guy on the cross next to him and say, hey, let's get one thing straight. Yeah, I'll see you in paradise today, but I chose you. <laughs> you didn't choose me. You know, there, we should not be parting ways with other believers over this debate. Right? Amen? And that goes for any of the other crazy debates that happen online. Uh, I find myself in debates with uh, old earth creationists often, and it gets kind of nasty too. People that believe that God created the earth billions of years ago and used evolution as a means to create. Some people believe that. And uh, it gets pretty nasty. It gets really nasty when uh, some of these people just start throwing names and calling you stuff. So we, we ought not to be that way. We shouldn't act like that. And so that was a rabbit trail. So coming back, we ended that passage with, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And uh, I'm going to finish with this today. This one, you could really spend an entire week of devotions just thinking and praying about the ways that you exhibit a, a lack of fear of God in your life. Every one of us has that to a certain degree. Um, probably, you know, looking at churchianity in general, not here, but just in general, probably one of the bigger ways that I just, I, it boggles my mind is when some people say, God told me this, God told me that, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord told me, brother, I have a word for you, brother. If you're not 150% sure that God told you that, you probably don't want to say it. You're putting words in God's mouth. Talk about a lack of fear of God. We've really got to keep that in check. I mean, it's, it's a whole different thing when you say something like, well, I feel like the Lord's moving me too, or... I feel like the Lord showed me this. Or, you know, leave it open. But when you start saying these things conclusively, God told me this, God showed me that, in a sense, guys, that is a claim to prophecy. That's a claim that, I mean, God's speaking through you, that's prophecy, right? And in the Old Testament, they would stone people for uttering false prophecies. So we need to, I mean, really consider that. Watch your mouth when you're speaking these things. It's okay. God does move us. He does flow us into different directions in a providential way. But as soon as we say, God told me, if we're not 150% sure, <laughs> watch out. That is showing a lack of fear of God. We don't want to do that, right? Amen? And there's so many little ways <coughs> that we show a lack of fear of God in our lives, and I think all of us really should spend a week of devotions just praying.
praying and thinking about the ways that we show that lack of fear and asking God for a healthy fear of him. You know, and like I said, a healthy fear. It's not like you're constantly dodging lightning bolts and, you know, looking out for when God's going to get you next because that's not how God is. But Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a healthy fear of the Lord. So, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together again for another time with you and your word. Um, God, we've been given this, this huge pile of grace. It just, it's never-ending. May we not take advantage of this grace. Uh, we obviously, we know that, you know, we're not going to just go sinning so that your grace is, is shown to be that much more glorious. But at the same time, I think a lot of us subconsciously, we just, well, it's okay. You know, I'll be forgiven. I can just go and do this one thing and, and then repent later. And we take advantage of that grace. God, please help us to not do that. Please uh, help us to be better ambassadors, better servants of you. And God, may we fear you. And, and be gentle in that, Lord. <laughs> We're not asking for you to come down and, and really put a fear in us. But at the same time, please increase in us a healthy fear of you. Uh, that's just, it's just a good thing when we understand our place. Uh, humbly serving before you and walking in a way that's pleasing as much as we can. Again, not because we have to to be saved, but because we love you and we want to do the right things. If there's anybody here who does not know Christ, uh, today can be your day. You know, with everybody's heads bowed, we all know that we are sinners. We've all broken God's laws. We've all offended him and, and it's, it's almost every day we're doing stuff, if not every day, that offends you, Lord. And we can be forgiven. We can be made right before God. And it's trusting in what Christ did on that cross. He came down. He lived a perfect life. He didn't sin once. And fully God, fully man, he gets up on that cross and he dies in a horrific way, taking the punishment that we deserve upon himself. He paid the penalty that we owe. And we get to have that righteousness accredited to our name by simply just trusting in him. If there's anybody here who hasn't done that, please, today is that day. Trust in the Lord. Pray to him. Say, hey, Lord, I've sinned. I have offended you. I admit it. I sin all the time. I don't even know. I sin so much. I don't even know all the sins that are involved here, but Christ, you died on that cross, and I want your blood to cover my sins too. Please forgive me. Please show me how to live my life for you. If anybody prayed a prayer like that today, come and talk to Glenn or I or, or Russ or Greg after the service. We'd, we'd love to just love on you and bless you in any way we possibly can. Well, friends, uh, thank you, Lord, for, for allowing us to study your word again for this day and uh, seal it to our hearts. Bring it to our remembrance all the seven days of this week that we might learn to walk in a better way before you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, so we're going to stop right there. Uh, and I wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about this podcast and ministry in general. Uh, March 2nd, uh, six years ago, that would be 2012, um, I started this podcast. And it, it was a situation where actually the week preceding March 2nd, I was in Costa Rica and I had a little bit of a, a, a midlife crisis at the age of about 35-ish, um, realizing as I'm standing in a, a rainforest jungle looking across 55 acres that my brother purchased and realizing that he was chasing his dreams. Yeah, they were secular dreams, but he was chasing his dreams. He owned that land uh, and he owned a, a, a tour guide company in Costa Rica, which he still owns. If anybody's interested, I can hook you up with his information. Anyway, uh, I'm looking across this land and I'm thinking, you know, I'm just kind of working a, a little bit of a dead-end job, and um, I want to do something for the Lord, and I, and I knew deep down inside. I had been fantasizing about starting a podcast. It was as if I just knew God had called me to do this, and uh, there, was, there was this burning in me, but yet I was honest, okay, quite honestly, just felt too cowardly to do anything about it. It just seemed like a mountain that was too high to climb. And I thought, who really wants to listen to me anyway? And, you know, feeling that. But as I'm standing there, it just hit me. This, this feeling of, I just have to do something about this. It's, there's no more time to sit around. Life is getting shorter and shorter as I'm getting older and older. And if I don't do something, I'll never do something. And, um, Man, that rose up within me. And when I got home, I had determined, uh, even on the airplane, I had determined that the second I got home, I would get online. And I had already been studying WordPress a little bit on the side uh, as I was fantasizing about this whole thing. So I knew that the second I got home, I was going to sign up for a domain name. And I was going to um, get a ghetto website going. And I did that day. I mean, I just got off the plane, walk in the door, jump on the laptop. Uh, actually, no, back then it was just a, a desktop PC and got my website going and it looked terrible, but I was okay with it. And the very next morning, I recorded my first five minute podcast on the essentials of, Christ, of the Christian faith. And <laughs> you, you listen to that first podcast and I mean, you could just hear that the fear in my voice and I was recording it on an old Blackberry phone with the stock earphones that came with the phone. Uh, my thought process was if this podcast is going to fly, um, then I should be able to at least crank out some podcasts with, with terrible audio and, uh, you know, if people listen to it, then I'll know, hey, it's probably time to invest some money. And at the time, I had no money for a laptop to record these on. I had no money for a microphone. So, you know, at the time, it was just like, well, God, if you're in this, you're going to make it happen. And the podcast kind of took off. Uh, it, it took a little, probably about uh, three or four weeks to start gaining some traction. But really, in the ultimate scheme of, of podcasting, that's pretty quick. And, uh, and, and away I went. Now, right now, actually, my wife, she took, I think it was the, my uh, fifth anniversary. Yeah, last year. Last year, my wife took that BlackBerry phone. She found it 
in one of the many junk drawers in our house. <laughs> and she framed it. And so it's actually here in my awesome new office that I think I told you about on the last podcast. I'm surrounded by bookshelves. It is so cool. But it's it's on one of the shelves and uh, it's kind of neat. She she put it in a like a little box frame with a little glass uh, window over it. It's, it's really neat. But anyway, yeah, the podcast continued on and eventually ended up with a laptop and then a microphone. And it's it's interesting, you know, God's word says, you know, seek, seek God first and the rest will be added unto you. And that's where this whole thing started. And suddenly I ended up um, taking on uh, part ownership of this company that in my estimation at the time, I thought was kind of a dead end thing. Uh, this isn't really going anywhere. And suddenly the company started taking off. Again, God's blessing was just all over it. And it was, it was just amazing, awesome opportunity. And that has been amazing for me over the years. Uh, then recently, uh, this podcast uh, continuing to go strong, this new business idea occurred to me because this whole time I'd been uh, feeling that the Lord wanted me in full-time ministry. I wanted so bad to get into full-time ministry and just devote my life to teaching the word and apologetics. That's what I've always wanted. Uh, since getting saved, shortly after getting saved. And uh, this this business idea came to me. And, and no joke, guys, I could not stop thinking about it. It was just always constantly in my head. And, you know, one might be tempted to think, well, you know, I was idolizing it. No, I, I think the Lord put it in my heart. Like, this is your avenue to get there to get into full-time ministry, a, a, a business where you're selling stuff online and you work very few hours a day and get a good return on it. And then all I need to do is work a few hours a day and I've made more than enough to cover what I need to support my family. And then I can put all the rest of my time into ministry. So I, I went and set about doing that and the, the, the business just took off. It absolutely took off. And so as you've seen over the last year now, um, my cranking out podcast has just been embarrassing, just flat out kind of disgusting, really. Uh, the ministry really has taken a digger and uh, I'm feeling pretty bad about it. In fact, uh, March 2nd, I hit the sixth anniversary of this podcast and notice I didn't even announce it. Um, it occurred to me the day before March 2nd, March 1st, it occurred to me that, wow, tomorrow is the sixth anniversary and there was no excitement. I actually felt like ripping, you know, rending my clothes. I, it was horrible. This horrible feeling washed over me. Like I have done nothing with this ministry for almost a year. I mean, just about nothing. And, you know, to my defense, I'm, I'm working a full-time job as a business partner for this one company. Then I start another business. And as you guys know, I'm now functioning as a pastor at a Calvary Chapel. I was teaching every third week. Um, we, three of us elders were teaching every third week. And uh, just recently I was uh, pasteurized. <laughs> I was ordained as a, as a pastor uh, under Calvary Chapel, which I'm not going to say they're perfect guys. I know that there's, uh, there's some bad ones out there, uh, but I seem to be at a pretty good one. 
and uh, I was ordained. And uh, just yesterday, we found out that one of those two was leaving. So now there's just two of us less left. So I'll be teaching every other week. So anyway, it's been really busy. Well, uh, I had another crisis moment uh, that, that kind of started about a week ago, uh, actually about a week and a half ago, as I realized that um, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I have a business that can support me. I, I don't need to be working eight hours a day. And I really feel this push from the Lord to go full time. And again, I don't claim to be a prophet nor a son of the prophets. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say God spoke to me, but you know how you, you just feel it? You feel this push? Well, I, I've been feeling it very heavy and it's been uh, overpowering. Well, today, guys, um, uh, April 16th, today, I delivered the news um, to my my business partners, uh, and it was terribly hard. In fact, uh, you know, I, I'm still feeling a little shaky about it, but um, it was very hard. But all that to say, guys, um, I'm phasing out of the company that I'm partnered with, and I'm going full time ministry here within about a month. Uh, it's it's happening, guys. The ball is in motion. Uh, so. Look forward to, sorry about that, my dog Buford is hanging out here in the room. Look forward to lots more podcasts in the future. Yes, uh, for the next month, it's probably going to be business as usual. I'm probably going to stink at cranking out just about anything. But in about a month, expect to at least be seeing uh, probably two podcasts a week. Uh, One of them will probably be uh, a Sunday sermon you know, verse by verse through the Bible. The other one is going back to the roots. And uh, we're going to be talking various issues on apologetics, all the fun stuff that I know that you guys fell in love with and now are wondering what happened to Mike. Um, (laughs) We're going to do all of that. I'm I'm so excited. You guys have no idea how excited I am. Uh, And so, yes, I will be uh, also functioning as a pastor. It's very possible uh, that I might, it, it's possible that I might even be taking over the, the, uh, the, what would you call it? I don't like titles, but the, the senior pastor role at this church. Um, these are exciting times, guys. So I just wanted to let you in on that. I'm very excited. It's all very fresh. Um, like I said, it, it was just about an hour and a half ago. It's uh, 6 p.m. my time in Colorado as I'm recording this. And it was about an hour and a half ago that I delivered that news. And it was incredibly hard. I love these people uh, that I've, I've been working with. I love the whole crew. Um, kind of hurts my feelings, you know, thinking about it. But, you know, when the Lord calls you into something, you got to do it. You just got to do it. And so there's a lot of sadness, but there's so much excitement too going on. So anyway, I will stop right there. Great things ahead, guys. Hang in there. We're going to get back to some fun apologetic subjects here in the near future. And I know I've got a lot of feedback. I know a lot of you guys love these verse-by-verse Sunday sermons too. So um, you're going to get them both. Very exciting. Anyway, I love you guys. And we'll see you pretty soon.